Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. What's up, everybody? We are back up in this thing again. I cannot believe it has been so long. Been so long. Hey, I'm missing you. No, Anita Baker, not today. No. (laughs) Speaking of Anita Baker, she just came up on my um, Twitter feed as being black famous, which I don't know if that's necessarily true. I feel like Anita Baker is famous. What is black famous? Okay, so there's a new thing on Twitter um, or a thread that's trending right now that said that there are a selection of black celebrities um, who are black famous, which means that every black person knows the celebrity, but they are foreign to white people and white communities. For example, like Frankie Beverly and Mays or um essence atkins or um or like lynn whitfield or um loretta divine you know like people like those who like are not necessarily mainstream or um (laughs) like super popular in white films or white culture white community but like every black person knows who they are so I don't know necessarily if Anita Baker is a part of that. I don't think she is, but side not really a side note. I met Loretta Devine at my um, school's like yearly alum banquet, alumni banquet, and she's really really sweet. And I have a picture with her, and of course it's like super over edited because back then on Instagram you only had like five filters. And so I, it's like, I, I don't know if it was the mahogany or the sienna or whatever filter it was, but it it's clearly very edited. But she was the sweetheart. And now I want to go watch some of her movies. Okay, so this is going to be awkward and choppy because I was talking about Loretta Devine. And you, just come <laughs> you know, I, I think Loretta's just one of those people. I, I don't know how to really connect it. I don't know. Nonetheless... It's just a very interesting concept, like being black famous. Super random. We're already on tangents, and we're not even five minutes in to the show. Do you have any good news this week? Um, My book club met, and I'm really excited that it's still a thing and that we are continuing to meet. Um, the people that have joined, like I consider them friends now, and I drag them to Pilates, and... Oh, my book account hit 10K. That was very exciting. Yes, famous, famous, yeah. famous, famous, famous. Um, It happened because well-read black girl like reposted one of my book stacks. And then the entire day, my notifications, well, like I have Instagram notifications turned off because I run the book account. And so it would just be ridiculous. But all day I just kept checking notification so like my kids were at centers and I was like okay let me see how many more followers I have and I was like <laughs> tracking how many and I was very hopeful that I would reach 10k by the end of the day but which I did 
and then it just kept going. So I think I'm at 10.7 right now and I'm super close to 10.8. I need to do like a 10K giveaway or something, but I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, But yeah, that was very, very, very exciting because that was a goal I had for the end of the year and they helped accelerate and make sure that happened before the 31st. So what about you? I remember your goal was like 7K for a long time. And then you like, <laughs> you completely surpassed that. Wow. So like overnight. Overnight, literally, I woke up with more than 500 followers than I went to sleep with because I was starting to track it because I really wanted to make the goal at some point, like eventually. Um, so that was just really wild and remembering like how far it's come. And now I'm kind of grappling with, do I continue to post like how I want to post and for the purpose that I started the account? Or do I now start to share books that other people would also be interested in? So like I did a poll and um, I asked if people want to know like more about what books were coming out or info about books that were already out. And people want Mm. to know about books that are already out that they can go purchase, which is kind of in contrast to how Bookstagram works because people are always posting oh, this is coming out next week, like, go buy this, or, you know, so it's, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out, um, but yeah, it's it's fun. Well, I think that we, you know, have the power and the ability to change the algorithms, you know? I think a lot of people are doing that type of digital marketing because either they're getting books from publishers or they're getting, like, checks from publishers, and so, like, you know, they're trying to tell you what's coming out because they maybe contractually have to. But I think that you have like your love for books comes out when you tell people about books that are already out, per se. Not to say that you aren't getting a check, but uh, <laughs> I get what you're saying. So normally, like when a publisher sends you a book, you're not they can't legally require you to even post the book. Um, and so if you do post the book, you have to post like partner and um like that you were gifted this book because of like fbc something regulations and so like i have partnerships where if i don't if i choose to post and i don't post that information then my partnership will get terminated but as of right now it seems like with bookstagram like your payment is the book and that's interesting in comparison to like other small niches niche parts of instagram I don't know. We'll see what it turns into. Um, For me this week, I'm also celebrating the fact that I have four days until, four full school days until Christmas break. I cannot wait. Um, What else has is happening in my life? Great news. There's so much good news. I mean, I'm still on a high from NCTE. You know, I think gathering with the people and seeing all of our friends and being around folks who are doing the work, excited to do the work and like getting that jump start in Baltimore was so incredible. If you have not heard, um, you know, my portion of the presentation, please go back and listen. Um, so I'm still on a high from that. What else is happening? Um, oh, my car is in the shop now. Yay, that's improvement. 50 days later after being stolen. 
Um, and it's a total loss. Yes. Well, okay, new car. that's good. That's right? great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. Now I don't have to pay the deductible, which, you know, adulting, you know what I'm saying? It's like the adult wins, you know, that like have nothing to do with teaching, but like currently impacts your mood. You know, like I have been Ubering literally for the past 50 days. So yeah, sorry. that's a lot of money. We talked about it and I was like, but it's cheaper. I don't know if that's true. But then when you put it in <laughs> it is cheaper. If you've only spent five hundred, like okay, so I have a RAV four and my car note is like four hundred dollars a month. And my insurance is like one twenty. And then gas and then maintenance. That's cheaper than five hundred dollars or Ubering would have been cheaper than me maintaining my car month to month, but the convenience of having right. the car. I'm is saying like that's me literally going, yeah. going home, going to school, to my boyfriend's house, and then like in those three things, like that's really all I've done. I haven't been able to stop at the grocery store, stop at the gym, stop at like the mall. Like I haven't been able to go downtown because I know that's going to cost extra money. You know what I'm saying? Um. Yeah. But I've been starting to report bad Uber drivers to get my money back. And um I'm I'm not playing with these folks. And I like I've been like taking advantage of all the like perks. So I put like a hundred dollars in into my Uber wallet and I get three percent back. Anyway, I'm not gonna talk about that for a long time. That's all I'm just saying. My car, I should have a new car soon, which is important. Um I also was really happy about the connections that my students made with Angie Thomas's on the come up recently. Um, I talked my admin into letting me write this unit, um, which is about really hip hop um, and activism, how hip hop is a means for activism. Um, and we read On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. We read The Culture of Hip Hop by Michael Eric Dyson. We read uh, some a couple articles on politics of respectability. Um, and yeah, like I just was so excited about the connections that they were making through the book. And, um, this is really the first time that they've ever grappled with true, a true anti-racist curriculum, a true unit that centralizes like them and like their history. Um, you know, we're making some small changes here and there, you know, I was saying on uh, online the other day like when they were doing their responses they kept saying like the black people did this the black people did this and, and i'm like y'all are black people right so when you're talking about black people in history like you're talking about yourselves you know what i'm saying like so let's not separate those black people and us today because we're so connected right like that's the kind of work that i'm interested yeah. in you, you know what i'm saying or like when students are like you know, rap, like one of their major takeaways is that like since the beginning of hip hop, it has always been a, like a safe space for black people to express themselves from now until today. And like, you know, just to see them make connections, uh, it's just been inspiring to watch. Like these are the kind of things that test scores will never show. Uh, <laughs> these are the kind of connections never, never. These are the kind of things that I am interested in teaching and measuring and like seeing how like their conversations on race 
you know, orally and in writing sharpens over the course of the year, how their identity strengthens over the course of a year. Like, man, it's incredible. So what can I say? Things are going well. I feel like I'm in a much better place mentally than I have been for the last 12 months. Um, And that I am grateful for. That I am like extremely excited about. Um, So I'm grateful for my friends, grateful for my job and my students, most of all, my man, Um, and just, uh, just the chance to have a new day. I think that is like been the most, the, like the best thing of it all. So I'm not going to pre, I know you're looking at me like, don't start all of that. I'm not, I'm just saying it's been a long year. So. (sighs) You didn't say you were grateful for the outdoors and it seems like you're spending a lot of times outside now. That's true. I was expecting you to say that. I am grateful for sunshine and wind, but not at this moment because Detroit's cold as hell. That's why I didn't say it. Okay. Note it. It's fine. You know, it's not very cold here. I don't, it's fine here. I think it's like maybe 70 today. It's perfect weather. doesn't feel like Christmas, but it's okay. Okay, so there's four days left, right? Yes. And, I, well, yeah. So we have a work day Friday, but four school days, four working days. And my admin has still not completed observations for everyone. Well, not completed, but hasn't even started for some people, which is extremely nerve-wracking because in the past, I've always had at least one formal done before I've gone off and like one little walk, one walkthrough done. Um, And so I've had my formal and my walkthrough so far. And like, I feel okay. Like I can go off to break and know that's done, but... Like, have you had any yet? Are you waiting on one? Do you get to choose when you have your observation? Well, you know, charter schools um, are a little different. (laughs) Um, I'm observed literally every week. Um, And we don't really have a... What? Yeah, like, I get observed every week. Um, And I have weekly meetings to discuss my observations. But none of the observations... That's <laughs> None of the observations um, are like punitive. Like, like I, I don't like. They're not like evaluative. They're more just like growth focused. Okay. But I do am am familiar with when I worked in D.C. You know, we we got observed three times a year, and then, um, and that was always stressful because that was tied to your pay. And then um, in the charter schools, we were observed weekly, but that felt very punitive. And then the independent schools, we were observed yearly, um, and that was easy. So I kind of have, like, a lot of systems that I'm used to. So in D.C., your observations affected your pay? Yeah, like, if you – so, like, you had to get – a certain number of points to advance to the next pay scale by the end of the year. And if you did not get that certain number of points, then you will be considered developing. And if you're developing, then your pay freezes for that year. 
And if your pay freezes, I mean, for, for, the, for the next year, and then you do the observations again, and if you pass the number of points, then you just continue up the pay scale. If you get minimal, what the hell? Yeah, if you get minimally effective, then your pay freezes, and you have like um, a certain number. Like then you go on like this plan, and it's kind of the same thing. Like you have to get a certain number of points. But the thing is, like if you don't meet the points more than two years in a row, two or three years, you're automatically fired from the district. So, like, what if you just get a principal that just doesn't like you? Um, observations have always been subjective. I don't think there's a, 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 right. Wow. Yeah, I don't think there's a way to make. Um, wow. I, like, I think as a profession, we are still struggling with like what truly makes a good teacher. I agree. Like every 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 observation is subjective, just like you said. Um, and I try not to. I don't want to say I don't care about an observation because people will misconstrue your words, right? But I try to be mindful of the fact that you are not in my classroom all day, every day for the entire school year. Like you've chosen to pop in for 45 minutes twice and 15 minutes four times over the year. What you see those times is not indicative of who I am as a teacher. It's not an accurate picture of my students every day over the course of the year. Like it's to say, for lack of better words, like it's whatever. Like, write what you're going to write and then leave us alone so we can just do what we need to do in the classroom, especially in younger classrooms. And if you are not a present admin, you're going to set my kids off. They're five and six, sometimes even four. And you're coming in and just walking around with the computer, looking at them and asking what they're doing. They're going to come up to you and chit chat and get off topic. And then you're and I've had admin that have like sat there and said, oh, students are not focused. Well, duh, you're talking to them. Like, leave them alone. They would be focused if you hadn't interrupted their work, asking them about what they're doing. Like, mm. that's an interruption to a child. <laughs> um, I mean, it is. It's disrespectful, honestly. Like, as an adult, you know, when you're sitting there working and someone's like, oh, what are you doing? What are you reading? Like, do you know how annoyed you get? Now, imagine that you don't have the, like, functioning skills to maneuver that conversation because you've only been here five years. The conversation starts and now I'm just playing. I'm not doing what my teacher asked me to do, but whatever. Um, I, I've i had admin that have also just popped in like, oh, y'all are having snack. Okay, let me mark this as a walkthrough. What? And then you get straight fours or straight threes because that's when you chose to pop in. And we were doing a regular classroom routine and they were effectively engaged. Yeah, they were engaged. They were eating, but okay. I... I agree. Like, we don't know what what and how to measure success. And I think that's why it's become so punitive and related to those test scores. Like, where I am now, or where I am now and where I was last year, they use numbers. And so it's like a scale of one to yep. four. And, like, I typically get threes. I, I don't go um, – we don't get any extra money for being a four. Like it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. No one ever wants to give you a four anyway, um, because then they can't critique you if they give you a four. So I usually get threes and it's just my first year I had enough points to be like, there was some scale where like 
if you hovered between two of them, like you were a master teacher or like proficient, it was like master or proficient. And I was like one point away because she was like, we can't, we have too many proficient teachers. Like I can't let you be a master or something. I'm just like, when I heard, when I heard that, I was like, okay, so this system is, is whack. Like clearly I don't need to value what you're giving me anyway, because you just told me that you would have given me more if you didn't have too many. So ridiculous to say the least. I I wish there was a way to like observe myself, like not observe myself, but to critique myself because as a professional, I know exactly yeah. where I struggle. And if it weren't so punitive, I would be more than willing for an admin to come in and say, hey, you know, look at this, which way can we improve it? But it's never the case. You ask someone to come in your room and it's always going to be punitive and chances are they didn't teach the grade that you taught. And if they did, they taught it for like two years before they moved up into admin. And so they have nothing really useful for you because they didn't get mm. to master what you're doing. So I don't know. I don't know what the solution I'm not either. is. I think, but I think it starts with like getting clear about like what makes a good teacher. And I think in order for us to have that conversation, we have to have that conversation collectively. Like, from the current teaching staff to the leadership to the district leaders, like we have to have a intergenerational conversation about what makes a strong, effective teacher in 2019, 2020. Like, because I do think that in order for students to have like strong um, experiences across the board, that we should be clear about what that looks like. But not in a way that like pigeonholes like educators and teachers into being like robots. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't always teach the same way. Um, like we don't always address issues or problems the same way. We don't always nope. um, deliver instruction the same way. We don't talk the same way. Some of us are culturally different, right? Um, and I think that there's so much bias that goes into these assessments um, of teachers that we don't truly feel like we're getting that fair chance anytime an observation comes through you know um and i think there are so many layers to like to that we know that observations should happen they should happen more than three times a year if we truly want them to be like effective but in order for that to happen you like whoever's doing the observing has to feel like the teacher has to feel welcome or maybe that's not the correct language. Like the teacher should feel safe when an a, an, a, an observer comes in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, safe. I think if you come in, if a, if an observer comes in a room, and like you you like, oh hell, like you know, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know what what this person wants. Like generally, you're not gonna perform your <laughs> best, like like your authentic best. You know what I'm saying? You like. Whoever you are organically won't come out because there there is an, an observer in a room. So I think that you have to be able to have trust in a strong relationship before you even start talking about observations. I definitely agree. I, my second year of teaching was the best year I think I've had so far. And that's because I trusted my admin and I felt like they trusted us as professionals. And a small way that like they began to develop that 
level of comfort and that trust there, they walked around and said good morning to every classroom every single day. Like, and she would come in and like, we do morning meeting in kindergarten. And so she'd come in, she'd hear a little bit of our morning meeting, and then she'd just say good morning to the kids and she'd leave. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And so getting used to seeing her in our classroom every day and the kids got used to seeing her and they looked forward to her coming around and saying good morning. It wasn't a big deal when she came in and chose to stay a little longer versus an admin that never comes around and never says good morning. But now you're in my room for 45 minutes and my kids don't even know your name. Like it's a very different it's a very different feeling. Um, I'm not excited when you're in my room and you don't ever speak. But when my admin came around every day and like, I I felt like I felt comfortable, like, hey, we're doing something cool. Like I wanted her in there because the kids loved her so much that her presence was like, it was welcoming. And I didn't feel like I was getting in trouble for anything that I was doing or wasn't doing because I felt trusted as a professional, which is very different from other experiences. Yeah, I like had that same experience. I, I had um, not just le- leadership who came in often, but I had like colleagues who popped in often right (laughs) and like that's cool because like it's children like to see adults interacting and like feeding off of one another you know um but it's it's always an expectation that like if you're coming in my room like you're interacting with what we're doing like but it's like you're like you're 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 interacting with the lesson you're interacting with the kids you're, like you're contributing to the conversation i had a principal once who did that so well like we were studying um money and hip hop and he would always come in and just like spit knowledge and like add to the conversation like that's always been great and i think that too many times like we get stuck in like the the observer mode and like we don't really know like like it's like okay I gotta be hands off I I, I gotta sit in the back I, I can't say anything I'm just looking and being intimidating and like I'm just like a spot of negative energy and everybody's uncomfortable now but like kids thrive off of energy you know what I'm saying so if you're coming in the room you're bringing energy in the room and if you bring your energy in the room, like we need you to contribute to, like your positive energy to the space to ensure that not only the teacher is successful, but the students are continuing yep. to be successful, you know? Uh, and students like seeing teachers like interact and joke and like bounce off of one another. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just something that they genuinely enjoy. I um, I recently, like I had an observation and... I don't know. In the past, I've been able to, if there was an adult in the classroom, I've been able to ask that adult, like whether you were observing or not, if a child needed help doing something, I could ask them and they would do it because we're at school and we work with kids. We work with children. And I had an experience recently where the adult in the room was not willing to help. And it just blew my mind, Patrick, like just blew my mind. Um, And that's what really got me thinking this week about observations and like, how are they useful? Like, why are we doing this? And what way is what you're saying about me is how was that used to help me grow as a professional? Um, And like the, I think I'm just stuck on how punitive it is. Like I, I can't get past that. Um, I, I, I just don't know. It makes me feel like I want to leave the public school system because like after a while, these numbers, like what happens to the numbers? I don't know. Like I haven't stayed in a district long enough to see what happens if you 
stay like three or four years? Like, do the schoolers follow you from school to school in this district? Do they, do you suddenly get like pushed up a tier based on your scores? I know they don't go district to district because every district in my state doesn't even use the same evaluating, like observation guideline process system. Like none of it is the same, which is ridiculous and shows that we're also not on the same page. I just, I don't know, I have so many questions about it. And I was just infuriated that the child was told no when I asked for help for them. So here's the thing. You teach kindergarten, <laughs> but that's beside the point. The uh, point is that, again, if we want students to succeed, if we want all students to, like, to succeed, we need to right. have all hands on deck. And I think it's just, it's a mindset thing. It's not like a... It's not a <laughs> it's not on the observer sheet that says that you can't do this or you can't do that. Like it literally is the mindset that the observer takes into the space. And so it just goes with the the age old saying that like you take observations with a grain of salt. Like it's literally one person's opinion of your teaching for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, fifteen minutes on any given day. It does not take into consideration your student population, doesn't take into consideration your health or what you're going through. It literally is a very small snapshot. And so it literally brings to question two things. One, it's like, well, if that is your score, what are you doing as a teacher to help collect other pieces of evidence that shows your strong teaching? And then two, it's like, how are we working together collaboratively, like as educators to um, like develop one another? Because, and it just goes back to what I said in November, which is that there is a disconnect between teachers and administrators. There just is, and it's very visible is very known and it's more um, common than not. And so like my solution is still the same one year later, which is that I don't think that principals should have instructional responsibilities. Um, I think that they should be in term in charge of like operations um, being a lead, a liaison between the district and the staff, but they should not have a say um, or a authority over teachers and their instructional practices. That should be in the hands of a full-time instructional coach or lead teachers, right? Or a, or a collective group of teachers. I, I don't think that, I don't think that any one person should be able to dictate a person's livelihood based off of 90 collective minutes of teaching instruction and some bogus racist bias ass test scores um, over the course of the year. Those things don't make a long-term impact in education. So like, what would you say for, for, what would you say to a new teacher that just got their like, second evaluation and it's all twos 
Because like it's it's easy to say this now that we have a few years under our belt to be like, eh, observations don't matter that much. But like I remember being upset that first year after I heard that I didn't get like the two extra points I needed because they couldn't let anyone be like masters. So like what would you tell them? Because it's, it's easier, like I said, it's easy to talk about it now. But in the moment when you're first starting out, like you, there's that that worry that you're not good enough that like you won't get a contract renewal that you don't know what you're going to be doing next year based off these observations. Right. And I think that, uh, again, well, I'll say two things. The first thing is that a first year teacher's evaluation should not look the same as a veteran teacher. That's just my... That's my personal opinion on that. The fact that we are evaluating teachers the exact same shows that we're not serious about teacher development. We're not serious about differentiating um, that development. We're not serious about retaining teachers over the course of the year. We're just not. Um, But I would say to to that new teacher, like, listen, this is a part of the game that you got to learn to play. Um. The reason why teachers in D.C. were getting effective and highly effective is because they studied the rubric. You know what I'm saying? Okay, it says that almost all of my students should be engaged. It said I should be doing X. It should it should sound like this. So they were literally copying and pasting things from the rubric into their lesson plans so that the lesson plans went off without a hitch. Oh. And so that they... Um, were able to um uh i guess what i'm trying to say is they were planning backwards from whatever the exemplar rubric was do i think that that's an authentic way to teach absolutely not do i think it's a way to pass an observation absolutely so i think that could be a strategy that you use just to make it but ultimately you 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 have to leave a system that is so punitive or leave a building um, that where there's leadership that utilizes that system in such a way that degrades you and doesn't allow you to like be successful in it. Um, Because it's one thing to have the district wide mandate. It's another thing to have um, leadership in the building who doesn't help you to navigate that evaluation system. Especially when it's like pop up, you know, it's just weird. Never know. You, you gotta, gotta stay, stay ready. ready. You should be providing rigorous instruction every moment of every school day, and everyone should be a hundred percent engaged. It's not whatever. I did. This is the last thing I'll say. Is I think that when it comes to teacher evaluation, it has to be. Strong teacher evaluation in my personal like big vision philosophy is like from a collective group of people. It includes a self-evaluation most of all, right? Like self-evaluation is like, it's incredible. Um, It is evaluated from your peers um, across disciplines. You'll be surprised that like some of the best teaching advice and critiques that I've gotten, constructive criticism, have come from like biology teachers in high school or um, like mathematics teachers, right? Like we underestimate the um, amount of rich, like (laughs) rich expertise that 
that happens across the disciplines. Um, so that's something that should happen. Self-evaluation, evaluation from peers. And I don't think, and I, and I think in, in, you know, some sort of small um, observation from somebody who's in like a master teacher role um, is important. No one should be evaluating you if they themselves cannot receive a, an effective or a highly effective on the actual um, score that you're given or the rubric that 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 you're given. Oh. Um, there should not be any teacher, um, any principals or vice principals or master teachers or evaluators coming in your room who cannot um, de- deliver or show you what that highly effective lesson looks like. They just can't. Stay your ass out the classroom. Stay your ass out the classroom. You know, they don't. They don't like when you. I feel like it's. I'm being funny when I say they, but when I say they, I mean like admin. I, I was told like when someone says they want to see something being done, like to always ask for people to come model it. And odds are they are not going to come model that for you, which says a lot. Like. It says a lot that you cannot come show me what you want to be done. Um, And it's really troubling. I also think often, like my uncle, he taught, he's still teaching. He's taught for more than 10 years at this point. I don't know exactly how long. But like, can you imagine how difficult it would be to receive feedback from someone who taught two years and is now your AP? And they didn't even teach and the again, same thing for two years. That just speaks to the disconnect, right? And like, I don't think that there should be anybody in a leadership role who's leaving teaching, be who left teaching because it was too hard, or it quote unquote wasn't for them. Well, that's fine. If it's not for you, that's totally fine. That means that you don't get any authority over what I do as an instructor because you did not master right. this step. Um, and any like. That I mean, like in any world, that doesn't make any logical sense. How do you go from um, not showing, like not performing or being fatigued or tired of being a teacher and not doing good work there to now evaluating teachers who are in the same place that you were in just 90 days ago? So, um, I mean, we got to be able to dream bigger about what it means to be a good teacher, who's joining these roles, um, who's being promoted and why, and um, and ultimately bringing that back to what it what it all mean, like who it all impacts, which are students every single day. So much gets in the way of their learning, um, and I won't allow for a bogus ass evaluation system to be a part of that. We say now all that to say, take the observations with a grain of salt. <laughs> right. But if you do have a good person observing you, like, yeah. then take that. You know, like, you okay. know good feedback when you hear it. You really do. But if the trust is not there, it's, it's not going to be good. If, they, if they're not willing to help your students in the middle of a lesson observing or, or not, then take it, take it with, with, with a grain of salt. You know what I'm saying? You, it all boils down to trust and respect and professionalism. And on that note, we'll be right back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're back. 
If you have questions, you can send them through email to commonsensepod at gmail.com or you can send them through our website at commonsensepod.com. Do you have a question for us? I do have a question for us. This question says, hi, Anthony and Patrick. How do you deal with a student whose behavior is just crazy? They're the only one in the classroom that seems to cause a problem, and oftentimes than not, they throw the entire class off. Admin doesn't do anything but send them back. Parents are like, mm, not that supportive, and I want to hold them accountable and keep the class moving. What do I do? I think it's going to depend on their age, like how you move about this. Um, but in kindergarten, and I'm hearing Tiffany in my head as I say this, in kindergarten for me, that's keeping them close. Um, and so a child that may not have the, what word am I looking for? Not the skill set. Um, like a child that's not able to regulate themselves like appropriately to maneuver independently in the classroom without, you know, affecting others or disrupting the classroom, I keep them near me. Like when I'm teaching, you're right by me. When you do your activities, you're right by me. Um, like any chance that a child would have to to go off and like essentially or potentially harm another child or do something that's dangerous to themselves, I'm just going to eliminate that and keep them next to me. And I don't know if my answer would change if I taught an older grade, but like with five-year-olds, because they they don't think so far ahead to, to determine like if I do A, then B will happen and then C will happen. It just, it's easier for me to eliminate all that until I can see that they are able to, you know, think before they act. And so I just keep them near me. And like, we talk through what's happening. And when I see that, like, they're able to make a few more independent choices and then I let them go back out. And, you know, now you can work with your table again or now you can do this with this group or whatever. But for the time being, I keep them like extremely close to me because then it becomes an issue where like you're having other parents complain that so-and-so did this to my child or so-and-so did this to my child and no one has a time for that. But you teach upper elementary or middle school. So I don't know like how that would differ yeah, for so I you. I think for me you have to have a strong belief in education being a long-term game. I think so much of our frustration comes in at the fact that children make, you know, the same mistakes over and over again. Um, and we just want them to stop right now. We're not really invested in the long-term game um well i wouldn't call it a game but the long-term process that it takes to truly like correct or get students to correct their own behavior um so that was a mindset adjustment that i had to make it's like okay i'm keeping them close they're with me i'm talking them through it we're having restorative circles we're meeting with people i'm documenting and it's still not working right now um but if I can re remain consistent, because all children respond well to consistency that is affirming, then I I should be able to see a change in a month and a half or two months, you know. And I've gone through this every single year where there's been at least one student who's just off the chain um, in September. Um, and then by November, they start to come around just a little bit. 
December is a little bit better, right? Um, and then somebody else was off the chain, right? And then you repeat the process. So I think ultimately uh, it takes a mindset shift more than anything, um, knowing that you you may not even see the change yeah. of behavior in your class specifically. It may not come until next school year or the school year after that, right? Like children change at their own pace. They're only with us during the day. They still have a home life. They're still at home, at, you know, during the summer. So ultimately, um, create a long-term plan and remain consistent. That would be my biggest advice. I think it's also, oh, I was going to say, it's helpful to remember that they've not been here as long as we have, right? Like they don't, <laughs> they don't have the skill sets that we have to, to manage situations like when someone ticks us off or when we're angry or upset or sad, like they don't have that. And so they're acting in a way that uses the skills that they do have to express those emotions. Um, yeah. I, I really just try to remember like my kids, you've been here. What is it? 60 months. Like you're fresh. You, It's okay. We're going to get through it. Yeah, like we still expect for children to be adults, and they're not because they're children. No, that, yeah, that's they're real. children. So, uh, with that, if you have questions for us, as Antonia said, send them to www.commonsensepod.com or send them to our email at commonsensepod at gmail.com. Do we have a quote this week? So our quote this week comes from the lovely Lorena. Lorena is an amazing educator that is in Austin, Texas. I think she's with Headwaters School. Um, but she is a co-founder of Disrupt, Disrupt Text. I don't want to say it incorrectly. Um, and she does a lot of amazing things with NCTE. And she has her own anti-racist um, teaching handbook that's out now that you can go buy and support her with. But... Here is her quote, and it kind of relates to the observation discussion that we had because so many of us, like, we, we get frustrated with observations because we're being told to do things that are directly in contrast to what we believe is is true and what is just and what is right for children. Um, but, I don't know, I feel like Lorena, her words always kind of... Uh, push me forward and help me remember or discover ways to continue to do right by children, but also, you know, play the game like you were talking about earlier. Um, so Lorena says, do the work. And the work is straining yourself to be anti-racist, growing and understanding anti-bias, seeking out PD, suggesting PD, question, 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 learn and read and listen and grow and act locally and strive for change. There will always be backlash each time, but don't stop. Yes. Yes. And, and I think the beauty of that quote is talking about, which is what we talked about at NCTE, which is about anti-racist work being a process. It's not a one quick fix. It's not a, uh, it doesn't happen in a year, a school year. It's a nonstop commitment. It's a lifestyle to this work. And I think, um, you know, observations are just like a part of that process that we have to like work through. So, um, yeah, I get that. I get that 100 percent. 
I think it's important that she mentions the act locally and strive for change. I think a lot of people, um, especially people who are like extremely present online, don't always do the same things in real life, mm. which is troubling. Mm. Um, and so if you're going to be loud online, Ooh. be loud in person Ew. and do what's right for the kids in your classroom and the kids in your community. So, Okay. And that's not, no, that's not shade to anyone or like anything, but it's just, I think people forget that. Like it's easy to talk trash. Well, not talk trash, but like talk loud online and then turn around. But like, what are you doing in your classroom? Like, how are you living this out day to day? Yeah. Any other additional comments? Be about your word. <laughs> oh, I have something. Go ahead. Be about your word. Yeah, I have something. Um, Tiffany Jewell has a book coming out January 7th. It is called This Book is Anti-Racist. And I was privileged enough to get a copy at NCTE. And I have kind of went through it a little bit. And it's something that every teacher needs to go through themselves first. And then it, like, it needs to be offered to children. Um, right now, I believe that if you do a wholesale order, you're getting it at almost 50% yes. off. Um, is that okay? That's what I thought. It's almost 50% off and there's free shipping when you do like 10 or more copies. Um, so do what you need to do to get that into your classroom, into your school, into your library. You can even, if you didn't know, like if you go into your local bookstore and they don't have it, you can ask them to order it. Like that is a thing. It's not just what is on your bookstore shelf. Um, and that is a way to show that show your bookstore um, that there's interest in a book and, you know, hopefully they will purchase additional copies. So what I did for my bookstore, um, I shop at Brazos Bookstore in Houston. It's an amazing um, independent bookstore. I ordered two copies because I want them to see it twice. And I want to hopefully, um, like when I go purchase, show that there's an interest for it um, and that they purchase it themselves and I may even order another one and just forget to go pick it up so that they have to put it on the shelf but you have the ability to go into your local independent bookstore and ask them to order the book um, it's available on Amazon but you know if you can we don't want to support Amazon it costs the exact same price at an independent bookstore at least her book does um, so go do that pre-order it pre-orders matter they matter they matter they matter um, and maybe buy it for Christmas for someone and pull that line where you're like, I bought your gift, but it's not here yet. And then they get a January <laughs> gift. So go order awesome. Tiffany's book. Y'all. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. I promise it won't be so long next time, guys, we will not get on the inconsistent track. So January, we will be back. Um, we hope you all have an incredible, incredible Christmas break. Um, and we will see you in the new decade. Thank you so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. Subscribe at our website at www.commonsensepod.com and receive the episode a day early. You can also subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love seeing your reviews um, and reading them, and it helps spread the message to other educators each time a review is posted. Yes, and we'll see you next time. 